chapter 2, verses 19 to 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word to our souls. So, Father, we thank you for your speaking constantly to us in your word, in reading of the scripture, hearing of the scripture, infallibly teaching the scripture, because you work in it. As you prick our hearts, you stir us to love for you, faith in the gospel, and love for others. So work in us that which is pleasing in your sight in the time to come over this passage to the glory of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's remember what's going on here in the larger context of of what we're reading here Paul is in Rome the capital of the Roman Empire he's in prison he's awaiting trial when the Philippians found out where he was they raised an offering a lot of money to help him out and they sent one of their very own Epaphroditus to go to Rome in order to Tell Paul how things are going with the church in Philippi to give to Paul the money they raised. And they were hoping that Epaphroditus then would stay on in Rome to help Paul, to serve Paul, to free up Timothy so that Paul would send Timothy to Philippi for who knows how long, half a year to minister to them the Word of God. That's what they're hoping. So it's been months on end now since they sent Epaphroditus, and all of a sudden, he shows back up in town with a letter in his hand. This letter from Paul to the Philippians. And Timothy is not with him. So that needs explanation from Paul. And that's what we have here. If you look down at your text, chapter 2, verse 19, actually all the way to the end of the chapter, verse 30, because there's the Timothy section and then the Epaphroditus section, that's what this is, the explanation. But I'm convinced this section is more than that. And what I mean is this. If he just wants to tell them this itinerant, stuff about where he's at, why Timothy's not there yet. Why didn't he just put it at the end of the letter? It's right here, smack 
in the middle. And I think it's purposeful in that because of what he will add to it and what he says about it. He is putting forth Timothy and Epaphroditus as models to follow of what he's already been exhorting the Philippian church to. Remember, he was concerned that many within the Philippian church were being a little selfish, not considering the interest of others, and he's encouraging them on. Remember verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And so, then he set forth Jesus as the supreme example of love, laying down his life for the sake of others. And then he says, now you Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, verse 14, do all things without grumbling before God under his providence. You can trust God. And now he presents Timothy as an example of a person who worked selflessly in the gospel ministry and has an, an actual, a genuine concern for the welfare of the Philippian church. And thus he's a living model of the Christian life that Paul has been exhorting. And so is Epaphroditus who we will see the next time almost died in his service for Christ on behalf of believers. Let's read it again. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord. Shortly, that's his way of saying, may the Lord will it that I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. So verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus, if it's the Lord's will, to send Timothy to you soon so that I Two may be cheered by news of you. Because if he sends Timothy, he'll be there for who knows how many months. And then Timothy will go back to Paul. And Paul can really trust Timothy's evaluation of what's happening in Philippi. And that Paul will be thrilled that it's good news of their walk with him. So Epaphroditus, he arrives back in town with this letter. Paul tells him, I intend... To send Timothy, I'm going to do it. It's my, it's my intention, but I can't do it yet. And he explains why. 
in verse 23. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. As soon as Paul gets some more concrete information about his case, about his future, is he going to die? Is he going to be released? What's happening with his trial? When that kind of gets more settled than it is, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Paul had hopes of being released, being freed. And at this point, though, he doesn't know it. If it goes bad for him, he needs Timothy. He needs, he needs what Timothy can do. He needs what Timothy can say and on his behalf, within the church, with the state, etc. And then, in verse 20 and 22, he explains when he does send Timothy, and this is the model part, why he's happy to send Timothy to them. Verse 20, for... Meaning, because when it comes to sending Timothy, I have no one like him. Which probably does not mean there are no Christians anywhere who have the spiritual maturity of Timothy. But it rather means of the helpers, of people in word ministry, gospel ministry in Rome. Paul looks around. It's just Timothy, really. Timothy is by far the best model of the Christian life that Paul has at his disposal, available to him. And he sets him out as the model. So look, how is Timothy the model? Read on. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For he's got others in mind. He's got other men in mind. For they all seek their own interest. Not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, value. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. That's a stunning line. Because they all seek their own interest. Paul doesn't trust them. And those words are deliberately echoing Paul's exhortation to the Philippians. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Do not look out for merely your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And so Paul, he saw Timothy, but not others. There in Rome, on that pathway, concerned about others. That is, in other words, to say that is, 
concerned about the things of Jesus Christ. So evidently in Paul's day and throughout church history and in our day, there are always leaders who lead and do ministry so that they may be admired. Seeking in it their own interest. But that's not Timothy's attitude according to Paul. He says he is genuinely. No masks, no hypocrisy on it, no game playing, but genuinely interested in them, in their spiritual welfare. And that's been the goal of this letter that Paul's calling all Christians to trust in God. Trust in His Word, as we saw last week. Trust in His sovereignty, as we saw last week. Trust in the Gospel in order to be freed from that attitude of always thinking, what's in it for me if I do this? Or that or the other. But instead, how can I overflow? Without expecting anything in return from those horizontally to them in this ministry, in this service. And so, who do we look to in our lives as models? Timothy here, he's a model. Paul puts him up as a model. A model of a person really loving the Lord Jesus and thus being genuinely interested in the welfare of others. And so we should seek, not merely alone with our Bible and like a hermit, but in community, in life, looking even to others is models to emulate. When you see another believer who loves really well, whether it's in gifts or service or in how they communicate with others, or you can go on and on, then you look, oh my gosh, they're so much better than I am. Emulate that. Look at that. Whether that's a parent, a grandparent, a friend, constantly say, I want to be better like, like they are in that area, seeking the welfare of others. Look at verse 22. But Philippians, they know Timothy very personally. He was there at the church plant, been there a few times. But you know Timothy's proven track record, value, proven worth. How is a son with a father? He has served with me in the gospel. So that verse gives us a clue about Paul's relationship with Timothy. In ministry, in missionary work, in pastoral work. And it is not 
this formal, professional ministry team. It's more like a family. Much more than just formal workplace environment and do our jobs. Like a son with a father. So, so let's just remind ourselves again from the New Testament a little bit about this relationship. So let's go back where it started to the book of Acts. Now, what Luke is telling us here in Acts chapter 16 when they first meet, verse, starting with verse 1, this is 14 years earlier than Paul writing this epistle to the Philippians. Okay, So 14 years earlier we read this in Acts 16.1. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the Christians at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, in other words, join his missionary team, as they're going to continue on. And so he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And now Timothy and Paul have met. The relationship begins. He's on his traveling missionary team. This was 14 years earlier. Then... About three or four years after Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, he wrote this to Timothy personally in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. Okay. This is a, Paul did get released from Roman imprisonment. And then a couple years later, he got rearrested and he's in prison. These are the last words of this letter here that we have of Paul that he wrote. As I remember your tears, Timothy... I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So here's the point. Over the years, the quality, the trustworthiness, the faithfulness, and the dependability of Timothy made Paul say now in Philippians, at that time, while he's in Rome, I have no one else that comes close to Timothy. Too many of Paul's fellow pastors and ministers that he's around in Rome have allowed self-interest to intrude and thus make them less trustworthy to care 
for the things of Jesus Christ. Which means to care for Jesus' people, like the Philippian church. Now, one more. Flip over a page, 2 Timothy 3. Listen to how Paul spoke of Timothy here. After he laid out people in, quote, end quote, gospel ministry. Not a pretty picture, according to Paul. And then he says this in verse 10 of chapter 3. You, Timothy, however, not like that. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my goal or aim in life. You have followed my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. And yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, Timothy, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and fake ministers that's what he means by imposters. They will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. The bottom line is, here's the man Paul could entrust his three-week-year-old baby with. The church. With Timothy, you knew where you stood. His word was his bond. He didn't need a notarized contract. His actions were consistent. He's not unpredictable. He didn't have hidden motives. He was not in ministry for the praise of men. What drove him was the gospel. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So what shall we take from this? Well, here's, here's, here's my answer. First, yes, look, theology, meaning how you think of God. Is it right or is it wrong? In other words, getting the Bible into you, grasping the gospel, knowing that, and then loving that theology is important. It's crucial for the Christian life. This is what we should glean from this, though. Along with that, we should look to models to emulate. 
like Timothy. When you see the love of Christ in another believer, desire it more. Follow it more. When you see people's grasp of God that gets them through horrific trials of life. See, I want to know God, not just in my head. But I want to know Him. I want to know Him more like that. That's Paul's point. Philippians, Timothy is a model to follow. And actually, that right there, looking at models, is itself biblical theology. In other words, looking to models in the Christian life is a practice that is prescribed in the Bible. So let's turn to one main place that is. I want you to turn over to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 of Hebrews 13. Now, as I read first, these first six verses, I want you, I want you to feel how they parallel what Paul's doing in Philippians 2 when it comes to telling them how to walk and how to live, how to trust God and look to the interest of others, etc. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, fellow Christians in jail. In other words, do nothing, right? As Paul would say then, do nothing from selfish ambition. Treat others as more important or significant than yourselves. Don't just look out for your own interest, but for the interest of others. Brothers and sisters who might be in prison. He says, do that as though you are in prison with them. And those who are mistreated. Remember those. Since you are also in the body. And he goes on about the Christian life. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Every married person and every unmarried person. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the fornicator and the adulteress. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and you can trust the promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay. Live the Christian life. Okay. Skip verses 7 to 8 for a moment. Go to verses 9 to 10. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Because it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have 
not benefit of those devoted to them, just legalism coming in and got to do the right thing and eat the right thing. No, 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 no. Eat grace, not what they tell you not to eat or eat. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent, tabernacle, they have no right to eat. It's grace. So the Holy Spirit here tells us where the power for the Timothy life comes from. Feeding upon grace. Eat at the table. Of grace. Eat grace. Eat the grace of the gospel, the grace of the cross, the grace of the atonement of Christ. Feed upon correct teaching, biblical teaching. That's the context. Not, don't continue in any way to feed upon different or strange foreign teachings. Eat grace, the gospel. Now go back to verses 7 to 8, where he tells us how to, how to keep our faith stirred up. Here's his answer. Consider Timothy. Look. To people like Timothy. Verse 7. Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life. How they lived. And imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The writer says, eat grace, feed upon grace, feed your soul the truth, but also remember people who trusted that grace. And thus it affected how they lived their life. In other words... Here's the exhortation for us this morning. Know your Bible. Know the biographies of the Old Testament and New Testament saints. But also know church history. Know of martyrs and their names and their stories that have been penned or missionaries who have Forsaken all in 1834 to go to Africa on a ship. And half their family died because of bugs they couldn't see. But they died serving Christ. Maybe mentors in your own life. Look, remember them, consider them. In biographies that are written, whether autobiographies or biographies of saints to stir up your souls. Read biographies about St. Augustine or Martin Luther or John Bunyan or David Brainerd 
or James Fraser, the missionary, or Charles Spurgeon, or Hudson Taylor, or Jonathan Edwards, or Corey Tin Boom, or read biographies, people, brothers and sisters who walked with the Lord. Specifically, verse 7, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. See, when he writes it, I think, I think what he's saying is look at their whole course of life. They're dead now. So you've got the beginning and the end. Look at those who finished well and didn't abandon the faith. Look at them. Especially as they came to the end of their lives, some of them very hard and different and clung to Christ. And ask yourself, how did they run? How, how did they hold fast to the end? You think about it. Was the love of the Father evident in them and not love for the world? Were they willing to suffer for Christ's sake? Were they like Timothy, who was genuinely concerned for other believers' welfare? And the way Paul puts it, were they that way because like Timothy, they sought the interest of Jesus Christ? At this very moment, in the United States of America, in the state of California, where Babylon the Great is testing the resolve of professing Christians and professing Christian communities, more and more we need models. We, we need models from the past and maybe even the present. Read stories of brothers and sisters that came out of the prisons and the gulags and the underground churches in communist China and the old Soviet Union. We need the inspiration of Jesus-centered, non-world, loving, suffering Christians who went before us. That's why the Hebrew writer says, Remember, remember John and Pete and Sally. Remember the Richard Rumbrands and the thousands of suffering saints with them not willing to cave. That word remember reaches back to the past. Learn their secrets. Let their lives convict. Drive us to prayer and to deeper devotion and resolve and hunger for fellowship with Christ. Imitate their faith trusting in the truth of Scripture. That's the last thing i got to say. That's the point here. 
The command here in Hebrews, implicit in Paul, is not mimic their conduct. That's not it. It is look at their conduct. Remember the way they lived and then go to the source. Imitate their faith. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Then consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They went to Christ. You can't pretend to go to Christ. You go, I want to go trust Him. Imitate their faith. Faith in what? That's the next verse. Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday as they walked with Him. He's the same today. And He is the same forever. They trusted Christ in the past. And now you can trust Him today. And you can go on trusting Him tomorrow. Look to models like Timothy. Look to their genuine, flawed faith that produces a way of living that produces Timothy results. For I have no one like Timothy. Sadly, Paul thinks. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know, you know, Philippians, Timothy's tested, proven value, worth as a son with a father. He has served with me in the gospel. Consider Timothy's way of life and care for others. And imitate his faith in the gospel. Father, thank you. Oh, for models in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, and for 2,000 years of church history. And there are some of these being written right now. Stir us with them. Cause us to read more biography. Cause us to love your word and absorb your word and, and pick up a book about a faithful servant who has gone before us. And we know, and I know in my own life, how you meet me there. May we be faithful as those we remember who went before us were faithful.
to Christ. In Jesus' name.